You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. We are privileged today to have with us Daniel Pipes, president of the Middle East Forum, which has developed from a think tank into the world-leading think and activist tank. Before we explore a few of your important projects at the Forum, Daniel, I would like your thoughts on President Trump's decision to leave the Iran nuclear pact and Secretary of State Pompeo's recent speech on American policy post the nuclear pact. Uh, the speech was wonderful. It's all one could have asked for, the complete rejection of the Obama era. Can you explain yeah. why it was good for President Trump and uh, for, for his rejection of the Iran nuclear deal and the plan that Secretary Pompeo uh, presented to the world yesterday. Why are those uh, two acts beneficial to the United States and the world? For the first time in almost 40 years, the American administration has not tried just to improve the behavior of the Islamic Republic of Iran, but actually to take steps to begin to change the regime. Uh, for decades, we were interested in regime change in Iraq, but acquiesced to the Islamic Republic in Iran. Finally, 39 years later, uh, after all the threats, the murders, the nuclear buildups, the ballistic missile buildups, and so forth, finally, an American government has said, enough, we don't want you around in the future. Will that enhance our security? Given that Tehran is one of the most dangerous places for the United States in the world, along with Pyongyang and uh, Moscow and Beijing, yes, it'll definitely, and it is more aggressive than any of the others. It has actually been on the war path against Americans in a way that the others have not. Do you, do you feel that, just shifting slightly, but staying within the Middle East, do you feel that the American move of its embassy in Israel to Jerusalem was a action that was also beneficial to the United States as well as to the world? Do you, uh, what is your I'm more view guarded. of the embassy move? I'm more guarded on the embassy issue. On the Iran issue, unqualified applause. On the embassy issue, I don't know. Most people tend to see the embassy as a single act in itself. I don't. I see it as the second of three acts. The first part of the drama was the uh, opening of relations in a new way with Saudi Arabia, the tremendous arms sales and the somewhat emotional quality to it, something that's not existed in the past. The second was the move of the embassy to Jerusalem. And the third, I expect, expect, will be recognition of Palestine with Jerusalem as its capital. And all this with the intent of putting together a Saudi-Israeli alliance against Iran. So, if I am right, and there is a third act, then I'm not so happy about this. Then I just prefer the 
embassy of state in Tel Aviv and not and no recognition by the U.S. government of Palestine. If I'm wrong, and this is it, and it's just a thing in itself, then it's great. But we don't know. So far, the Palestinians have been reptilian in their, aggress- in their aggressiveness against the embassy move, against the president, against the United States as a whole. So nothing has happened. But the record shows that the Palestinians can be as hard as they want to be, as murderous as they want to be, and the door is always open to them. And I expect the door will be open at some time when either a boss or possibly a successor decides to call off the name-calling, the vituperation, and to ask Trump what it is that he alluded to several times when he said there's something for the Palestinians waiting. That day, I believe, is inevitable, and I worry that it will transform our view of the embassy move. What is, going back to Saudi Arabia, there have been reports of significant changes within Saudi society. Can you give us your view of what is happening inside Saudi Arabia? I think it's wonderful. I think it's a potential revolution along the lines of the major revolution of 150 years ago in Japan and the Ataturk Revolution almost a century ago in Turkey. It is across the board, social, economic, political, uh, religious, foreign policy, military, everything. Uh, Should Mohammed bin Salman succeed, it will be a a very different Saudi Arabia. Even if he fails, even if he is uh, assassinated, I think changes have been put in motion that should augur very well for Saudi Arabia and for us as well. You have written and spoken about changes that have taken place in Turkey. You've commented on Turkey as a regional power, and you have been quite critical recently on moves by Erdogan, the president of Turkey. Give us your assessment of the role that Turkey is currently playing within both the Islamic world as well as just generally geopolitically uh, within the Middle East. Well, everyone is critical of Erdogan these days. I stand out perhaps because I was critical of him back in 2002 when he was first elected. <laughs> I was in a way, critical for the wrong reasons. I saw him as an Islamist, and only as an Islamist, and everything derived from that. Indeed, these days, the Islamism is still there, the intent to apply the Sharia, the Islamic law, in all its completeness and severity, and the idea of building a caliphate. That's still there. But it's been overshadowed by his authoritarianism, his despotism, his autocracy. So they go hand in hand. In general, Islamists are autocratic, so it's not, not a shock. But what, something remarkable happened for the first nine years of his rule. He was cautious. He had, to his credit, very impressive economic growth. He was dealing with some of the major issues of the country, such as the Kurdish revolt. Uh, it, you know, for, for all my suspicion, I had to grant that he was doing a, an excellent job. Uh, He turned up as an intermediary between the United States and Iran, between Syria and Israel. uh, Across the board, it was remarkable. 
And then in 2011, he got control of the military. The military had historically been the ultimate power in the Republic of Turkey. He got ultimate power himself. And then his despotism came out. And it's ever clear. There are a myriad of examples. Uh, the alleged coup attempt, which I think was a false flag operation, uh, the, the considering of someone who signs a petition to have a park maintained as a park, calls that person a terrorist, and on and on and on. Uh, the incarcerations, the uh, stealing, the, uh, the abductions, for example, in foreign countries, Turks who are against the regime have now been abducted from several countries. Uh, so he's, he's turned into a complete autocrat. The elections coming up in a month are nominal. He already has all these powers. Uh, he doesn't need the formal constitutional uh, allowance of these parties, of these powers. They're there. Uh, he is the autocrat. There's no chance that he'll be ousted. It's a nice dream, but it's not going to happen. He's there, and he's there for life. He's in his early 60s. He's not in the best of health. Who knows how long we'll go on for. I expect that he could lead, could, could, could run into real problems because he's so arrogant and aggressive. And the two main areas in which that might happen, one is foreign affairs. He might start, for example, shooting at an at a exploratory uh, boat in the Cypriot waters looking for gas. Or economic, he's decided that he has his own theories of inflation, and he's pursuing them. And the the lira, the Turkish lira, is falling through the floor, and there are many other severe problems that are afflicting the Turkish economy, and uh, he could just create his own demise that way. I don't know, uh, obviously, which way he's going to have troubles, but but the troubles are mounting. He is so arrogant, so aggressive. Uh, he has enemies everywhere, inside the country, outside the country. His only allies outside the country are Qatar and Sudan. Uh, you know, not, <laughs> not a really strong base. So uh, Turkey's in trouble, Erdogan's in trouble, the region's in trouble, and potentially the world is in trouble. What do you think American policy should be towards Turkey? That's the tough question. Analyzing Turkey is easy. Figuring out what to do towards Turkey is tough. There are two schools. The one school says, let's just stick with him. Uh, let's hope that Erdoganism is temporary, that Turkey goes back to something like what it used to be. Uh, let's maintain the NATO alliance with them. Let's swallow the insults and the problems and continue. The other is, there's been a fundamental change. This is not going back to where it was. This is not an ally. NATO membership is a, a joke at this point. Uh, time to to uh, put various pressures on Turkey, to which the first camp says, "Oh yes," and then you'll send them into the arms of the Russians and others. And the first, the second camp will say, "Well, let's see how far that actually goes." You know, they have their own problems, the Turks and the Russians. Uh, let's squeeze them. Let's make life difficult for them. I fall into the second camp though I have to say I've got a lot of qualms about it and worry that, that it might lead to even worse problems. But for sure, I know some things we should not do. For example, selling the F-35, our most advanced fighter plane. It's going to start in a few weeks. It's crazy to send 
to them, not only because they could potentially use it against us, but because they can show the innards of the, of the plane to the Russians, the Chinese, whoever, the Iranians, who knows? This is not an ally. You don't sell your most advanced weaponry to a rogue state. Same question about what should American policy be towards Syria? Uh, another tough one. Uh, we control about a quarter of the, or our, our friends control about a quarter of the country. And it happens to be, in some ways, the most valuable quarter. It's where the oil is produced. I think we should stick with the Kurds strongly. They are the only ally we have there. Not the Turkish, Qatari, Saudi-backed jihadis, nor the Iranian-backed jihadis. Uh, so stick with the Kurds, stand up to the Iranians, stand up to the Turks, stand up to Bashar al-Assad, uh, and uh, obviously stick with Israel, stick with our allies, and uh, not, not betray them. We have a history of betraying Kurds. Let's not do it again. Mm-hmm. In my introduction, I mentioned that your Middle East Policy Forum has transformed itself or expanded activities by going from a think tank to an activist tank, which I'd like you to describe what an activist tank does. Um, I would also like to say that I have been personally a supporter of the Middle East Forum for a bunch of years. I think that you present and provide a unique perspective that is sorely needed in terms of analysis of what is going on in terms of the Middle East, radical Islam, and other important issues. So why don't you give us an overview of what the Middle East Forum does, then I want to drill a little deeper into a few of your projects. Well, thank you for the comments, and thank you for the support. Uh, as, you, as you indicated, we have two overlapping topics. One is the Middle East and all its aspects, and the other is Islamism, particularly in the Middle East and in the West, but more broadly, almost anywhere. Uh, we have three parts to the forum. The first, the most basic, is thinking, original thinking, original information, uh, providing ideas, approaches, policies, uh, give you one example, we came up with the Israel Victory Project, which says enough of these negotiations, enough of appeasing the Palestinians, wars and history shows uh, by one side giving up, time for the Palestinians to understand they've lost, for them to give up their uh, fight to eliminate the Jewish state of Israel. So it's a rather simple idea with very, very extensive implications. That's the idea. Then the second part is operational where we go uh, to, for example, the U.S. House and help put together a caucus, which now has 33 members, bipartisan, or the Israeli Knesset, where we have a caucus with 28 members from seven different parties, representing seven different parties. We uh, talk to people. We've gone to, for example, uh, many important figures in the U.S. government and many in the Israeli government. We've talked about it in Australia, in Europe, and the like. Uh, that's two. That's operational. And the third is, so in other words, building a base for, of support 
for this idea. And the third is uh, philanthropic. We have some money to give out to others, individuals and organizations alike, who will help with this. I might mention most prominently in Tertsu in Israel, which uh, we are helping, we are funding, but at the same time it has made Israel Victory part of its core mission. And so it's a, it's a cooperative effort as it, uh, for example, it's, it's running what it calls a periphery tour for us, going to places like Sterot and Katsin uh, and Jerusalem, places on the border, and having events with the mayors like uh, Barkat and Jerusalem uh, to talk about Israel Victory. So uh, an idea, an operation, and then uh, supporting others to help us with it. And we do that in a number of areas, uh, be it a university in San Francisco, a, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center in Alabama, uh, Turkey. We're, we're engaged in campaigns and uh, intellectual efforts in a number of different areas concerning the Middle East and Islamism. Well, you hit on two of the projects uh, that I want you to, that I wanted you to um, inform our listeners about. One was the Israel Victory Project, and we have also worked in the past with Inter2, and they provide a unique movement within the state of Israel directed at and um, and it's been a very fruitful relationship relationships that we've had with them over the years. You also have Campus Watch, which you um, may have been referring to when you're talking about San Francisco College. Um, as you know, there are tremendous um, problems on campus in terms of the eradication of free speech for certain people, especially those who are standing up for the United States of America, and particularly those who are standing up for the state of Israel. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what the situation is on American campuses? It's gotten worse and worse. We started Campus Watch in 2002 when we thought it was terrible. But in retrospect, 2002 was pretty good compared to now. Uh, there, was, there, was, there were the eccentric and extremist Middle East studies professors, but they were somewhat, excuse me, they were somewhat isolated. Now this hostility towards free speech that is patriotic or that supports the allies of the United States uh, has become virulent and deeply problematic, and it's just getting worse all the time. Uh, with new, new concepts like microaggression and intersectionality, uh, concepts one never heard of a few years ago, uh, supporting these efforts to suppress any intellectual diversity. Oh, they're big with other kinds of diversity, color of your skin diversity, uh, gender diversity. But when it comes to what's important for an institution of higher learning, namely intellectual diversity, that is forbidden. It's getting worse and worse, and it's difficult to see, short of a Fox News type of operation, some major effort to establish major universities that will compete, that will serve the other half of the population. I have a, uh, a rising senior in high school who's about to go to college, and it's been a painful process. 
I had uh, children some years ago as well, and it wasn't nearly so bad. But this time, I'm telling my child repeatedly, don't you want to go off and take a year, a gap year? Don't you want to mature? Don't you want to know the world more before you go to university? I'm very concerned about her going to university and uh, being indoctrinated. And I have to pay for this privilege to make it even worse. And a lot of money, too. You know, um, a while back, University of Chicago appeared to draw a line in the sand um, on these sets of issues and keep the university as a place where you have a respectful and civil exchange of ideas. But it just seems like there is still, it's still spreading. Uh, the bad stuff is still spreading in terms of shutting down um, conversation and, and learning. Uh, on your website, I noticed that you recently reviewed, well, it's not recently, it's actually uh, two years ago, a book by uh, journalist Kirsten Powers called The Silence, How the Left is Killing Free Speech. Um, I think you're trying to answer, as we all are, as how do we combat this? And, um, and yes, there are a few universities. I mean, one that comes to mind is Hillsdale College. I mentioned University uh, of Chicago. Um, what is it that we can do as long as university administrations do not impose uh, uh, discipline? First, let me correct myself. I didn't mean a rising senior. I meant a rising freshman in college. Um, okay. But the, the, um, the at university, uh, Syracuse University recently, when Israel's ambassador to the United Nations um, was speaking, his, his talk was disrupted and was most important. It, later on, it's got straightened out, not because of anything that the university did, but then the university took no action against those people who disturbed the event and who tried to disrupt the event. If we can't change that at a university, meaning if there's no discipline imposed and you're not punished for doing the wrong thing, I don't see how we can win this battle. Well, that goes back a lot further. I had it consistently between the years 2002 and 2007. I was disrupted over and over again. And in many cases, I tried to have the university take action, and the university never did. So this is a good 15 years, if not more, of invulnerable, invulnerability for, for disruptors. As I said before, I, I don't think the university can be changed. The, the major ones sit on a huge pot of money. Uh, they offer degrees that are very prestigious. They charge enormous amounts for the privilege of going there. There's very little to suggest that the professors, administrators, are going to allow a change to take place. So I think there has to be a new set of institutions that arise. And I think, as with Fox News, these will meet a substantial demand. Half the country, after all, is more or less conservative. And uh, even many liberals are not delighted by the indoctrinations taking place at the far-left universities. 
Commentary Magazine once had an article calling universities islands of repression and a sea of tolerance. Even liberals don't like that. So uh, who is, who is going to undertake to start major universities? Uh, Hillsdale, Groves College are wonderful, but they're not, they're not big and they're not, they're not challenging the major research universities. We need, we need such a challenge. What is uh, your agenda at Policy Forum in terms of issues? What do you think are the most important issues for the United States to focus on, and what are you guys focusing on? Well, at the Middle East Forum, we have a few priorities. One is focusing on Islamism as the enemy, not Islam and not terrorism, but Islamism, the third radical utopian ideology of the modern era after communism and fascism that is a threat to our way of life. And it's not so much violence as it is working through the institutions, whether it be in Turkey or in New York City. Uh, this is our first priority. Uh, the Israel Victory Project, trying to bring a new understanding and new solution to the Arab-Israeli conflict, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Uh, those would be our two most prominent topics, but we have many more on Iran, on Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and the like. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Daniel, I, I want to thank you for participating in this podcast. We'll have it up shortly, um, and um, I want to wish you continued uh, success in your endeavors, like I said earlier, extremely important that you be successful um, because you are addressing some of the most important issues of our time. Again, thank you. And thank you, Alan, for the opportunity to chat and for your kind words. Thank you for listening to Code Red with Secure America Now. We are the largest national security digital platform in the nation dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the forefront of the American debate. For more information, visit our website at www.secureamericanow.org.